eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. Right on, baby. Yes, sir. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Haw and Dan Weeder. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast. I am David Haw from 670 The Score, along with Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune, covering the Bears as they begin 0-3 the day after a drubbing 41-10 to the Kansas City Chiefs. Dan, you're back from Kansas City. You're up at Hallis Hall. This is going to be a very long season. That's what Monday has told me. Yeah, uh, I'm very interested to hear your take. I'm obviously standing in front of the greatness wall here in the midway of Hallis Hall. These are dusty old artifacts because I have not seen greatness in this building in a very long time, and it certainly wasn't great on Sunday. I'm going to be very interested to hear your uh, takeaways from the temperature of this city. After the Bears suffered their 13th consecutive loss, this one, a game where they were down by 41 points midway through the third quarter. And I'm out here on Monday um, listening to Coach Matt Eberflus talk about that the Bears are close. He really believes they're close and that they just need to focus in on the details more. Um, I bring that up, David, because I think it's a very, very uh, touch and go spot that they're in right now where messaging that we've heard before that clearly hasn't gotten through why are we to think that it's going to stick this time with a group of players that has to be asking a lot of the same questions we're asking in terms of where is the solutions? Where is the growth? Where's the improvement? Where's the development? Um, I just, I feel like I'm stuck in groundhog day out here, to be honest. Great way to get into our opening drive. It's time for the opening, the, the opening drive. Groundhog day, because it feels so familiar. And, and I think that, when you ask me to summarize kind of what senses in Chicago, 
I don't think you can do that just based on one morning talk show. You know, we had callers to the Mullenhaw show, our reaction, obviously. But I will say this. I mean, you, you get a sense after being here for this is your 10th year. I've been here for 20. I think you know what direction things tend to be headed and you start to look for cues and whether it's the way players are talking or the way fans are reacting. I'll say this. It, it, I believe that it feels like the Bears and this regime are closer to the end than the beginning, and they're 20 games into this regime. And so by that, I, I'm not trying to be a notice-me guy, and, and I don't think I've ever been that way, and, I, and I'm not trying to be somebody who is you know, uh, calling for somebody's job because I haven't done that either. But I have been in Chicago long enough to know where things, where things tend to go once they start headed in a certain direction. And the Bears feel like I, I, Saturday, Sunday may have been like crossing the point of no return. And it feels like that would be as much as anything that when we look back and assess, you know, with the Mark Tressman era, point of comparison, and we, we do that a lot just because it's the most convenient one because that was a very dysfunctional two-year tenure. But when he decided to kick a field goal on second down, you know, that was really like, eh, boy, you don't, you're not going to – that's going to leave a mark. <laughs> and, yeah. and it did. This feels like the Kansas City week of preparation and then the way that they were blown out. I don't know how Matt Eberflus, the head coach, in terms of credibility, recovers from this. And I think that he's on the – on the verge of bringing Ryan Poles, the general manager down with him. Scary premise. And that's the, the that, that's where I am. I felt a, a level of agitation earlier in the day on Monday. And right now it's just kind of like a, whatever, like here we are, you know, because you, you, you sit here and you put me on to Jay Kudo who's the guy on Twitter who puts out those graphics with statistical nuggets. And he had one last week showing the NFL as if they were baseball standings of the last 162 games. Right. I'm sure you saw that. And yep. the, the bears were in their standings there and they were 62 and 100 and they were the fourth worst team in the league in a company with the Browns, the jets and the Jaguars, which as you know, over the last uh, 10 plus years, by the way, that corresponds almost exactly with my entire tenure on the beat. So that graphic hit me particularly hard because it's what I've lived through on this beat. And when I talk about this feeling so familiar and redundant here at Ellis Hall, how many of these Mondays have I sat through, no matter who the coach is, standing up there at the dais and telling us, oh, we just got to got to clean up that one mistake. And there's things on video that are correctable. And if we just do it this week, we're right there. We've documented now that this is their first 0-3 start since 2016. That season ended up being a 13-loss season. You know, so Brad Biggs and I at ChicagoTribune.com are trying to sound out the idea on whether the Bears can come back from this. Not only the 41-10 to 10 loss in Kansas City, but the 0-3 start to the season. And, and can they? Sure. But I think the GPS has to be reset because statistical probability tells us the playoffs are a far-fetched notion. And so now if you're a player in this locker room and you're thinking to yourself, man, like I've got to give every ounce of myself for three and a half months to maybe conceivably turn us into a six win football team. The human nature demand of that is, is it's massive. And th that's why I say this is a, a really tough spot on the calendar to be where they are right now, because those human nature things are, are hard to get through. And I think they probably sit and listen to their coach preaching the same familiar messages and just go, bro, we've heard this before. So the Broncos are next on Sunday. They're 0-3. And then in order come the Commanders at 2-1, a team that lost 37-3 to yesterday. 
the Vikings, who are winless at 0-3. The Raiders, 1-2. Uh, Chargers, 1-2. Saints, 2-1. And, and Panthers, 0-3. There's a tendency and even a temptation to look at that schedule and to see the soft spots, uh, starting with a team that gave up 726 offensive yards, an NFL record, and 70 points in the Broncos, and think that, well, the worst is over. And, and now the Bears can start to show signs of progress that Matt Eberflew cited at Hallis Hall on Monday. And I, and I caution people to say that that is prob- probably true. But I don't know if it's cynicism, experience, or you know the inherent negativity that sometimes you feel doing this job and being around this much losing. But those teams that I just referenced are also looking at the Bears as the break in their schedules. So I don't know if I find solace or the Bears should find that uh, find fear in the schedule because it it says yeah there's an opening but it also underscores what we just talked about if they can't get right given those teams on the schedule then what I you know ominously you know foreshadowed in the opening <laughs> comment is going to come true because if you can't beat them you can't beat anybody. I mentioned the word playoffs a minute ago, right? And your natural inclination is to go find the Jim Mora video and 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 respond to any conversation that includes that word with that famous soundbite. The opposite end of that spectrum is going 0-17. If we sat here today and you took a poll of a 1,000 people in the city of Chicago and said, what one is more likely, the Bears making the playoffs at the end of the season or the Bears going winless this season? Which way do you think they'd lean, David? <laughs> I think I think that the, if if we're taking odds in Vegas, you know the way that so many odds are taken, that more people would think that the the Bears are closer to being a winless team than a playoff team. There's no and, doubt about it. We all know it's almost impossible to go winless in this league. You're going to find your way to a victory or two somewhere along the lines. But this team hasn't found their way to a victory in 11 calendar months. We've checked off every single month of the uh, of the calendar, but. But, uh, you know, but October, because they, they got that one last October in, in Foxborough. Um, I just like th- th- there's a heaviness to this. Right. And th- there's a, there's a heaviness that the players can can put up their uh, guard as much as they want and they can they can grind and they can do all the things, stay together, all those things that you need. There 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 is still a, a monumental human ask to to try to invest in a process that doesn't seem to be leading anywhere. And I think that's where this gets so bleak so quickly. I, I think I, I, I think I understand why, too, and, and partly, you know, in Chicago. But I think this is probably similar to other NFL cities. Maybe it's, it's, it's exacerbated in Chicago because of the, the lack of a quarterback for so long. But if there was more belief in Justin Fields or more progress that was obvious and evident to everybody watching, I don't think it would feel this heavy. I think what's happened in the first three games of this season is that Justin Fields has lost the benefit of the doubt. And maybe he wasn't as close to gaining it as, as maybe we were led to believe or or maybe we thought at one point. But last year was all about accepting the losing because you felt like there was a quarterback here that once he had talent around him, improved the talent around him and it, with experience, it was all going to come together. This year, that's – that's not a premise that you can, you know, point to, and it's not realistic because of the flaws that have been obvious in Justin Fields' game. So if he's not developing and there's no talent around him enough to raise his level and he's not going to raise the other, he's not a, he's not a multiplier as they say, 
then I think then that's when the reality starts to set in. It's like, oh boy, you know, we were wrong about him. And if you're wrong about him, what else were you wrong about? And here we go again. Nothing is unlocked, particularly offensively, but nothing period right now inside this organization seems to be unlocked. And so you're heading to the month of October. You're winless. Um, You've got all these uh, weights from a year ago that are still here. Even for people that weren't here, they're still a part of the the team's storyline. And you just like you literally can't point to anything that you feel good about that you feel confident about that you feel is stable and steady right now whether that's offense defense special teams coaching drama dysfunction top-down leadership whatever it is you're just like where 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 is the steadiness and stability in all this where's the thing that we turn to and say okay this is the one thing we can rely on to help us get on the right track now look like you you pointed out the upcoming schedule should be a a much more favorable stretch than what they experienced in the first month of the season. But you've got to find a way to be close to flawless every week just to put yourself in games in the fourth quarter to then have the opportunity to try to make a play to go win those games. And right now that seems like a monumental ask. They they, they don't they don't sack the quarterback. They barely take the ball away. They rarely make uh, big drives and big moments offensively. You, you, you've got no, you know, playmakers on this roster where you go a hundred percent, you go to that guy every single time and, and, and you're going to have something, something happen. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it, I, I just don't even know where you begin the troubleshooting manual for this because there's just so many layers to what is wrong. You know, it's like, you need that, that. It's like, it's like trying to fix your, your dishwasher, but there's like 19 problems, <laughs> you know, you don't know which one <laughs> did it, did we fix this one or, or is it, fixed and it's not working because these other 18 things are broken well they have a lot broken and there's not anything on either side of the ball to point to that gives you some source of inspiration or or contentment um by by the way if you just want a a small thumbnail of monday afternoon at house hall go find yourself the the sound of maddie berflus talking about tyreek stevenson's exit from sunday's game where he describes it as you know he came out of the game and then i was kind of uh, of the impression that he was in concussion protocol, but then he wasn't in concussion protocol and it was a neck injury. And we said, well, the official report was that he was out with an illness. Oh yeah. Then it was an illness. It was an illness then. And and yeah, so that's, we're not trying to hide anything. It's just like they, they, they can't even get the basic organizational stuff organized. Alibi. They can't even lie correctly or in sync. Or just or just be like like have their arms around situations. Like that that's why week three got away from them because nobody could get their arms around anything. Messaging the, is a problem. Whether it was right. the Alan Williams situation, whether it was the Justin Fields situation, whether it was all of the, the turmoil that, that existed here. It's just like you you, you just don't feel like there's a, ever containment to any of it. And it just adds to this, this sentiment in the sense that like this organization is wayward and you don't know where the compass is to get you. It's like Blair Witch Project, you know, (laughs) before we get on to our QB one segment and we'll have plenty more to say about Justin Fields wanted to just follow up on that because I got on the bears this morning on the Mullane Hosh on Monday morning, because those two incidences uh, incidents bothered me. And I think they should bother anybody watching. And, and I wanted to know what you thought about the explanations a day later, Justin Fields was helped off the field by DJ Moore. We talked to DJ Moore about that Monday morning on the show. And, and then he returned in a game that was, 
41 to three at the time of his return. Tyreek Stevenson earlier in the game on the first series had the helmet to helmet contact where he hit his head also on a camera uh, equipment and he was clearly dazed. And then he came back the next series and then he later left. But I just wonder, I'm supposed to, we're supposed to buy the idea that concussion protocol was followed. I thought this was going to be, you know, the, the era of increased awareness and erring on the side of caution. In neither case, you could say the Bears erred on the side of caution if both guys returned to action within, you know, 15 minutes in real time of getting hit in the head and being wobbly. A year ago, Jaquan Brisker had multiple instances in the game in Atlanta, and he ended up in concussion protocol coming out of that after being checked for head injury, coming back in the game, hitting his head again, and then and then leaving. Jaquan Brisker missed, I don't remember how many games it was during that stretch, but but he, he will talk openly about how how kind of wayward he was for that stretch that he was out, you know, struggling, uh, having to kind of be by himself in dark rooms and 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 you know, just get himself back right again. And and like you're right to ask questions about about procedural things about how is this being handled what what exactly went right and what exactly went wrong in these instances i i i don't know what the answer is but you're you're right like this is supposed to be the era of of you know err on the side of caution at, at all costs make sure you know uh, <laughs> that we need to take these player health and safety issues very, very seriously. And this seems to be a couple instances here where, where questions are at least valid, you know, and, and what, what did DJ say in terms of his uh, response and, and kind of his instincts that kicked in, obviously, in that moment? That, his, that he's always going to act that way and he's got an increased awareness for himself and other players. And in that case, he could tell that it was just one of those things. He didn't, he he was very careful and he is very, I, I, w- I would think early on, he, he's been very guarded in, in my view, um, a lot of respect for him as a professional, but I don't think that he wants to get into a situation where he was being viewed as, as pointing a finger in any direction. So I, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I had to ask him about it. And I think that because it was one of those things, but he didn't say anything that would lead you to believe that Justin Fields was compromised more than um, more than it was obvious already. And he shouldn't have returned. He did not say anything that could be interpreted that way. I just think that from the naked eye, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to take a chance and if, if, if it were a tie game, I think you would understand if the bears were a good team, you might understand they're getting beaten 41 to three and a quarterback who supposedly is your quarterback of the future. Why would you take that risk? And then Matt Eberflus post game, I think was rather cavalier about it and acknowledged, well, he was cleared common sense at some point has to prevail for a, a regime again that is supposed to be all about culture and common sense. So that's what bothered me as much as anything. I'm, I, I hear you. I hear you loud and clear. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's move on to our QB1 segment. All right, Dan, we've been talking about it on and off, but the finding moment and then the other categories uh, we'll get into, but which, uh, which was your defining moment for Justin Fields' day in Kansas City? Perfect segue because it's the exact moment that you just talked about. It's Justin Fields scrambling at the end of a game in which they're down by 38 points, and he takes an absolutely vicious hit, and he comes up staggering. And, you know, obviously he's wobbly. This is kind of the risk reward, right? That the calculus that was introduced back into the equation last week when Justin made uh, requests to his coaches to, to be able to play more freely, to be able to do things more instinctively, to be able to have the opportunity to get out and run when plays aren't there for him in the passing game. This is what you expose yourself to. You expose yourself to big hits. You expose yourself to physical tolls. You expose yourself to potential injury. This is what they're trying to go back to in order to break a crisis of confidence for their starting quarterback. This is not going to work like it did in late October in early November of last year for all the reasons that you and I have talked about on this podcast for 10 months. Defenses have adjusted. They understand your number one explosive weapon is Justin Fields as a runner, and they're going to take that away every single opportunity they have to take it away. You have to develop a counterpunch. Yesterday, the Bears once again did not have it. We'll get into more of that with my big number. But here we are, right? You have a quarterback now that wants to find himself again through making plays with his legs. You're exposing yourself to big hits, and this is a a potential risk for every series going forward. The finding moment for me was one that probably was out of Justin Fields' control, like so much of life as an NFL quarterback it can be. And so – because it was a week of bad luck, some of it created himself, some of it just because that's the way it is in the NFL. The defining moment was him actually doing the right thing, actually putting the ball where it needed to be, and then DJ Moore dropping the pass that he put right on the money. To me, nothing defined the week that Justin Fields had by finally, finally put throwing a pass and being the – pocket passer that everybody wants him to be and he's desperately just trying to get to and then putting the pass right there and DJ Moore the most reliable dependable bear on offense drops the pass that defined what kind of day 
and what kind of week it had been and was for Justin. You know what that reminds me of, David? And you know I like to dig into my Little League coaching experience, but we have kids on our team that like don't understand why the kids who throw strikes all the time get more plays made behind them in the field. And it's because the, the, the ball's in play more and you're, you're more alert. And this reminds me of a quarterback who just hasn't hit many deep shots this year. And so when there is finally one there, there's just a lapse of like, we just haven't been in this rhythm. We haven't been in this groove. And, and you have that, that temporary lapse of concentration that results – in a big play turning into an incompletion and, and you're just like, that's why, you know, stacking completions. That's why stacking scoring drives. That's why getting rhythm and flow and momentum going as an offense is so important because then when these big moments come, you've already got that, that adrenaline going, that momentum built. And that's a, a great example of one where an opportunity showed itself and it, and it wasn't there. I'm not blaming Justin Fields, but you understand kind of, kind of how this is, this whole thing is um, disjointed to, to the level it is. How about your uh-oh moment? So my uh-oh moment comes after the game when we met with Justin in his post-game podium session. And, I, you know, to his credit, he's been very candid and forthright and open. And I think I asked him, um, I don't remember the specific wording of the question, but just about kind of how you deal with a game where uh, you're down 31 and uh, by halftime and it's just over like so quickly. And he went on to give a pretty long response that, that you know, expressed perspective and gratitude. We talked about it on our post-game podcast of, of, of a, a guy who just kind of, feeling like oh yeah you know I just got to look at the the finer things in life and understand that that I'm lucky to be playing in this league and have the opportunities I have and I'm going to try to use that as as fuel going forward and it just like it was to to a man up in that press box from uh, people who cover the Chiefs to people who cover the Bears it was kind of like whoa that that felt like um Broken teams seems like too strong of a word. And then again, no, it doesn't. You know, it just felt like a, a, a quarterback who's staggered right now, a quarterback who's trying to find something, anything. And it just it, it makes you say, uh oh, because it just doesn't feel like it's trending in the direction you need it to trend going into week four of an 18 week season. It makes you say, uh oh, because you don't want 24 year old quarterbacks having to put into perspective how lucky they are to be playing professional football. You want 24 year old quarterbacks who are supposedly your quarterback of the future, finding ways and dreaming about winning playoff games and Super Bowls and, and being challenged consistently to the point where he's not settling. Well, at least I'm at least I'm in the NFL. I mean, it's a really something you would expect Tyson Bajan to say, frankly, or somebody who is, you know, uh, there on uh, because they're a long shot. Justin Fields has always been an elite athlete, ranked number one coming out of high school, drafted first round coming out of college, playing at Ohio State before that Georgia. This is not a guy who should feel lucky to be in the NFL. And you're right to identify that as an uh-oh moment because when he is beaten down mentally to that degree, it says to me that his confidence is shaken and that everything about him you start to wonder because he's a guy that probably is fueled by confidence. So that's a good one. Um my old moment just goes back to what you talked about. The play where he was wobbly uh, is a good reminder of just how tenuous, you know, maybe that's why he was feeling the, the need to have perspective there. Justin Fields, like every quarterback, is probably one hit away from, from being out. He especially because of the way he runs the ball, but it wasn't necessarily a dangerous play. But when he was wobbling to – it reminded me of Jay Cutler in 2010 after getting sacked for the ninth time and yeah. looking toward the Giants' sideline. Justin Fields was disoriented and made everyone feel like an uh-oh moment was happening for him and for the Bears. 
All right. So I'll give you an on the bright side here. And I, it took me a lot of thinking to get something that registered in this category. But I just thought that they did a, a good job at times on Sunday afternoon of getting him on the move, both as a runner and a thrower. They moved the, po- the passing point. They moved the pocket out for him a little bit. Uh, they gave him opportunities to be more comfortable on the move. Production-wise, it didn't really result to much. But I think you saw some, some strategic and schematic adjustments that they feel like can become more of what they do going forward to just try to get something uh, something to unlock here, as we've talked about. Um, you know, So there were moments where you say, okay, like, like here's a, a new wrinkle to this that, that hopefully gets – your quarterback in a better mindset. Ultimately, it's got to turn into production, which turns into points, which turns into wins. And we haven't had production or points or wins in a very long time. There's only one bright side for me in terms of Justin Fields' day, and that was when finally one plus two equals six. And that was the touchdown pass with four minutes and 20 seconds left. DJ Moore finally scores his first touchdown in the regular season as a Bears wide receiver, nine-yard pass from Justin Fields. Nice execution. And there Finally, were 2,600 people in Arrowhead there to see it. <laughs> was that all that was left? <laughs> I, thought, I thought that's how many people were, that were waiting for for Taylor Swift outside the Chiefs' uh, <laughs> locker room. But, uh, yeah, there weren't many people left of the 73,562, but DJ Moore scores. Finally, on the bright side, Justin Fields connects with the wide receiver who still doesn't feel like or sound like He's having much fun in Chicago, but talk to me next week. Maybe it'll be a little different, but I feel sort of bad for DJ Moore um, because he just feels like there was so much maybe more promised and he's not there. All right, let's go to the key number. 99 passing yards for Justin Fields. I can't get past it. It's an unfathomable number to me in a game where you were behind by two scores at least for 41 minutes to end the game, and you couldn't even – register some of that garbage time passing production that everyone gets. I mentioned on WSCR on Monday afternoon that you go back to, I think it was 2020 when Deshaun Watson led the NFL in passing and you look at his fourth quarter stats for a woeful last place Texans team that was always playing from behind, just racked them up. Completions, yards, touchdowns, fourth quarter, fourth quarter, fourth quarter, fourth quarter. Justin Fields can't even do that right now. 99 gross passing yards, uh, 87 net there. He's made 27 starts, David. He's been below 175 passing yards, 16 times in 28 starts. That's that's 175 passing yards in the modern NFL. 99, didn't even get to 100 on Sunday in a full-on chase game that, to your point, he didn't even come out of the game in. You know, it's not like they pulled him early in the fourth quarter and said, just take a seat, this isn't going well. That's that's that, I mean, that number, it doesn't even compute in my brain. My number would be 11. That's how many carries Justin Fields had. I'm not sure if you broke down the tuck and runs versus the design runs. Not yet. Um, he didn't know that's that's on the watch, uh, the second watch. 11 carries, um, 47 yards. The reason why 11 stands out to me is because if you told me that Justin Fields was going to carry the ball 11 times, especially after the week that the Bears had practice-wise and who they were playing and the need for him to do more with his feet and play freer as he wanted, I would have thought that he had more than 47 rushing yards. Now, that's great for a running back to average 4.3 yards per carry. Justin Fields and Luke Getze, whoever you want to assign this to, if he's going to carry the ball 11 times, he's got to average more than four yards per carry. There's got to be an explosive chunk play. There's got to be a way to counter what teams are doing to take away the running lanes, as we now have heard repeated often throughout the media because it's not a terribly original uh, idea, but you hear it repeated so much. 
that now that the teams are defending Justin Fields differently with spies and with uh, setting the edge and the perimeters, now you want to find ways to counter that schematically or just force fit what works. And that's the only thing about the Bears offense you can count on, that Justin Fields is going to be explosive with his feet. So 11 carries, good start to remember what works best with this offense, but do it again against the Broncos and find ways to exploit mismatches with Justin Fields in the open field because he's a hard guy to bring down. I'm doing these calculations quickly because you said 11 carries, which matches the same number of completions he had on Sunday. Uh, you take the 22 passing attempts plus the three sacks plus the 11, uh, the 11 rushes that you just mentioned, and you're talking about 134 net yards to come out of those 36 plays. It's like 3.6 yards every time you asked the quarterback to make a play. Like, that, that, like this is what we mean. Like, there's just so, like something has to happen at some point. Um, I, I couldn't get past the numbers for the receivers. Chase Claypool catches a 15 yarder on the first play of the game, doesn't touch the ball again, or doesn't doesn't make another catch. Darnell Mooney zero catches. Cole Komet two catches, 22 yards. Robert Tunyon is he still a member of the Chicago Bears? I don't think I've seen him in the month of September. Like this is this is nuts, David. With the, the number of guys who have had established success in this league who are not producing at all. Um, Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Well, something's wrong. And I, and I think you're going to get some of that, not, not to introduce another number to the equation, but like <laughs> when, when, when you have the Bears only snap the ball 51 times and they had 51 plays and it's the seventh time, this is courtesy of Kevin Fishbane in The Athletic, I think earlier today, the seventh time in Matt Eberflus's 20 games that they've had 51 plays or fewer. That's the most in in the league in that span. They're 0-7 in those games, not surprisingly. And it only happened five times in 65 games under Matt Nagy. That doesn't matter. What does is that since 2022, teams who have had fewer than 51 snaps are 11-42. and You need to continue to get the the chains moving. That's offensively the message you get. Defensively, you got to get off the field. So when you snap the ball 51 times, you're going to end up with very disappointing and telling offensive statistics for your quarterback. Yuck. Yuck. All right, let's move on to our next category. We can make this a two-minute drill because I think we got some things we just have to wrap up. Dan, I want to ask the the question that will come up. It's the most talk radio-oriented question that you may hear this week. It's also one you'll be asked and maybe you'd keep an eye out for. Is there any reason to wonder, or I guess with we talk about Justin Fields and his hold on the job, is Tyson Bagent a quarterback that you feel like you're more today you're going to see this year than maybe you did last week? Is the backup quarterback for the Bears uh, any closer to seeing the field than he was before they started 0-3. I mean, boy, with the direction this thing is going, I think at some point, if it, if it continues down this road, you have to take a look at that. Now, you have to do that kid a, a, a service as well and make sure that he's ready. You know, this is still an undrafted rookie with a ton of college experience at the, at the level that he played at, but, but still has to learn a lot about what this NFL game looks like. I know everyone got very uh, excited in, in the month of August to see that kid play in the preseason. He was chucking the ball around to Doris Fountain. You know what I mean? Like he has almost no chemistry rapport reps with the, the, the starting uh, unit that the bears have here. So there's a lot that goes into that. Um, I guess the, the, the long answer is, is that the short answer is, yeah, I, I would think at some point for a lot of different reasons, you're going to see this kid make a start this year. Who don't, who knows when that comes uh, Bigsy and I were, were having a debate for our true or false 
thing on chicagotribune.com on whether Justin could benefit from a break right now. I think the answer to that is yes. That doesn't mean I'm advocating for him to be pulled. I think like, look, like you have this game <laughs> Sunday against the Broncos team that just gave up 726 yards. That should be an opportunity that you seize on to, uh, you know, as, as, as much as you seize on to any opportunity. But I think that the short week next week, you come after that commander's game and like, they just need to give Justin like three days in Cabo or go somewhere, dude, and just decompress and get away from this because you could, you could see kind of the weight of the pressure and the weight of the losing streak and the weight of everything uh, kind of adding up on, on him. And I think that there, there's going to need a point where he just needs to take a step back for even three days and just, just take a, take a, take a breath. Nate Davis uh, did not play. We talked about that post game. He was in uniform. He was a, uh, not a healthy scratch, but he also was a backup. What did Matt Eberflus say, if anything, about his status moving forward on Monday? Yeah, no, 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 no additional news on that front. It's uh, somehow a very controversial topic. Um, you're not allowed to express many opinions on it without getting getting backlash. I think that the Bears signed a guy for $30 million with the hope that he'd be an anchor on the offensive line. I'm very sensitive to um, the the losing a parent aspect of this, you know, it's a, it's an absolutely gutting thing to go through. And, uh, you know, I return to a job typing words on a computer. He returns to a job that requires you to be really, really, really mentally strong in order to keep people from getting hurt, including yourself. Um, so I don't think there's any right or wrong answer here. I just think right. that like, you know, this is a, a, a guy who's missed an awful lot of time now and catching up is going to be very difficult. Well, and I, and I, I'll just add to this. I think everybody unfortunately can relate to the, the grief of, of losing a parent. And I don't want to make a judgment on that because it is difficult. Um, I think in that context, the bears, you know, organizationally probably didn't do him any favors though, by, in the NFL, the mentality is if you are dressed you play, and you are active, you play or you're available to play. And if you're not ready to play, then nobody – I mean, I don't say nobody, but I think I would understand and, and have uh, some grace there and some empathy if he's not ready mentally to do that uh, or physically, conditioning-wise, because of the time he missed uh, grieving or, or dealing with his family issue, everyone – we're all adults here. I think we can all understand that. But when they put him in a uniform, they made all questions about his availability fair game. Sure. I'm sorry. This is the way it works in professional sports in in whatever, whether it's any sport. So that's why I think I, I consistently or continually going to ask this question about has there been an adequate explanation for why he wasn't available for an offensive line that, that is struggling right now? Yeah. Uh, has there been an adequate explanation? You know, that's like, you can write that on the top of my, uh, my, my, my word document. Every time I walk in here, has there been an adequate explanation that I'm batting like 275 over 11 years with getting adequate explanations on things. So um, yeah, stop there. <laughs> I feel your pain. Uh, so I, I think the other thing I was curious about um, Tremaine Edmonds, according to next gen research, I think there's a statistic out there that, he was targeted 11 times and gave up 10 completions. Um, and this is a guy that came to the Bears with positive metrics in pass defense. Is he yeah. on? Is it just a product of playing the Chiefs? This is what Patrick Mahomes and Pat and, and Travis Kelsey are going to do to linebackers who try to dare to cover them. 
What uh, what was the feedback? What was your take on Tremaine Edmonds' game? Yeah, I haven't seen the I haven't seen the rewatch yet. I I would say that they paid an awful lot of money for him uh, with the expectation that there at least once a game there would be a play that you would go back and say, hey, you got to watch this, you know. And I just don't think there's been many of those moments for Tremaine Edmonds. His length was supposed to be an, an absolute weapon. Uh, within this defense, particularly as it related to taking away passing lanes and having an uh, you know, ability to make life very difficult on opposing quarterbacks through three games, Jordan Love, Baker Mayfield, and Patrick Mahomes are just doing just about whatever they want against the the, the entire Bears defense. Part of it is because the Bears can't get any sort of pass rush, David. Like This is like one of the most problematic things that you've ever seen uh, in league history. The one sack through three games coming off a year where you had a league low 20 and vowed to fix it. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, like, look, like Tremaine Edmonds has got to play better. He left the game Sunday as well. Matt Eberflus said on Monday afternoon that he's fine. He was cleared and would have been able to go back in if it was a closer game at the end of Sunday's game. Uh, so that's where that stands. But look, like return on investment, man, like that's 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 a guy that you made the, the headliner of your free agent class in March. And at some point, there's got to be some dividends to that. Anything else stand out that we didn't get to? We covered a lot of ground. There's a lot of stuff going on, and I'm sure that this week uh, will bring its own share of, of of news. Hopefully, it'll be a little quieter than last week. Yeah, I'd just say the last thing I would say is that one of the two players that we talked to on Monday uh, was Roshan Johnson for a rookie. Um, you understand the maturity. You understand the natural leadership ability. You understand that this kid has um, a perspective that if he can continue to evolve as a playmaker and can continue to be a major part of this offense – Guys will respond to this guy. You know, he goes about it the right way. He says the right things. He understands what this is all about. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, in a time where there's a lot of things to be worried about here, there's, there's a bright spot where you say, okay, that, that, that dude looks like everything uh, that they advertised him to be in a lot of different ways. And it was just refreshing to see him come and handle himself the way he did after, you know, to, first of all, to be a rookie and kind of be the spokesperson today for one of the worst losses that, that either of us have seen in decades, you know, that, 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 that says something. So with all of the hubbub over the Taylor Swift uh, appearance and, and Jarrett Payton capturing her walking around with Travis Kelsey of the Chiefs uh, locker room. and Yeah, Jarrett's uh, finally famous. He's finally, I know. It's <laughs> He's been waiting a long time for him to get discovered. So it's good, good for him. He, he works very hard to be that. You know, I think TMZ might be next for Jarrett. Uh, we'll wait and see. Um, any worries about the, the way that uh, Sierra could possibly take over Sunday's uh, events at Soldier Field if, in fact, Russell Wilson's wife shows up and creates quite the stir that Taylor Swift did? You're going to have to give me the background because uh, let's ride. I don't know. I don't know if they're letting her into Soldier Field. I don't think they can uh, handle any more of these types of dis- distractions. I don't here. think they can, Dan. <laughs> I think I think after the Taylor Swift episode, you know, the Bears Bears want to focus on football. Uh, did, did you did you see the video floating around of uh, the idea that Taylor Swift may have been snuck out of that suite in a uh, like a, a popcorn machine? No, I did yeah. not. I Take did a look not. at Yeah, you can find that pretty quickly somewhere on Twitter where there's there, a lot of, lot of theories on how she got out of there without being seen. But then, as you mentioned, JP, JP found her uh, before they left the stadium. I just can't wait for the song that's chronicling the uh, romance of Tra- with Travis Kelsey. And maybe the Bears game will warrant its own stanza. We will wait and see for that. All right. Background vocals on that one. <laughs> okay, that's Call good. Me up. Looking forward to that. All right. Anything else? I think we pretty much wrap things up. We will be back on Friday morning with an episode with our predictions for the Broncos game and what is next. And maybe the Bears can get the first uh, victory since October 24th. 2022 almost a year a full year ago uh they will (laughs) they will really 
I'm trying to think. Sunday would be October 1st. So they went uh, a lot of months without a victory. And they 11. still look. Yeah, 11 months without a victory. It's been a long time. Seems longer than that. All right, Dan, we'll wrap things up. So for Adam Sadinsky, our producer, Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune, I'm David Hall. Thank you for listening to the Take the North podcast on the free Odyssey app and watching on the 670 Scores YouTube page. We'll talk to you next time. No, seriously, help. Thank <laughs> you.